Welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artists' relationship with anxiety. I'm your host, Allison Sheff. Today, I'm continuing my conversation with actor-turned-psychotherapist Alyssa Goldstein. Alyssa and I previously discussed what anxiety is and how it specifically affects artists. In this episode, we'll explore what types of therapy are out there and available to artists and also what to look for in a therapist. A quick disclaimer before we begin. This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional with any medical questions. Uh, so if an artist out there is considering therapy, can you provide us with an overview of the different types of therapy that are out there? Sure. So there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> but so what I'll tell you is this, um, the, you know, there's, there's certain, there's certain, what we call in the fancy clinical world, evidence-based practices, meaning that, okay. you know, they've been tested and we're able to kind of see the, the amount of efficacy in them. You know, sometimes with talk therapy, it's kind of hard to judge if it's worked or not, right? It's not like the regular mm. medical field where you come in with a broken foot, you get a cast, and then you can tell that the bones have been fused together correctly, right? right. Um, sometimes, right. you know, our, our level of well-being is very subjective, right? So- mm-hmm. <laughs> With that being said, so there is, there and it's is, hard. Yes, go ahead. Measure that. Yes, you can't. exactly. So there's one. There's yeah. one form. I mean, there's a few, but there's there's one that's used more often than not with anxiety, and I'm sure you've heard of it before. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy, and mm-hmm. for short, people will say CBT, not to be confused with CBD. CBD. I, yes, I was trying to explain this to a client once, and for the full for, first, you know, thirty-five minutes, we thought we were talking about, you know, drugs. <laughs> cool. That also can be That's a therapy, amazing. but I was just—I just wanted to clarify. We'll talk right. about CBD on the next <laughs> session. This is CBD. Okay. Um, so it is the most widely used therapy for anxiety disorders. And research has Great. shown that it's effective in the treatment of panic disorder, phobias, social anxiety disorders, generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and basically, it addresses the negative patterns and distortions in the way we look at the world mm-hmm. and ourselves. So as the name okay. suggests, this involves two main components. There's cognitive and there's behavioral. So cognitive basically examines how negative thoughts or our cognitions contribute to anxiety. Behavior therapy examines how you behave and react in situations that trigger anxiety. So the basic premise of CBT, again, I could also do a five podcasts on CBT. So I'm going to try to <laughs> make this short. The basic premise of CBT is that our thoughts, not external events, affect the way we feel. So in other words, it's not the actual situation that you're in that determines how you feel, but it's your perception of the situation. Uh-huh. Right? So it okay. all depends on our individual expectations, attitudes, and beliefs. So people in general with anxiety um, have negative ways of thinking that fuel the negative emotions. And the goal of CBT for anxiety is to identify and correct these negative thoughts and beliefs. So the idea is, is that if you change the way you think, you can change the way you feel and, ensure, and in turn change the way you behave. So 
I'll break it down just a little further. Um, thoughts that you know mm-hmm. seemingly start off as innocent can easily become ingrained, distorting our perspectives of the world. So CBT aims to identify these distortions and replace them with more positive and rational ways of thinking. And once our thoughts change, behaviors and feelings usually follow suit. So breaking it down just a little more, um, cognitive <laughs> distortions is a big part of this. So like I said before, cognitions are our thoughts and distortions are what they sound like. They're a skewed perception, a skewed perception of our thoughts. So these cognitive distortions lead us, like I said earlier, to overestimate the risk, threat, or danger of a specific situation, while at the same time mm-hmm. leading us to underestimate our own resources to cope with it. So can you give us some examples of what these cognitive distortions might look like? Right. So there's other, you know, there's there's other cognitive distortions like mind reading, right? So you think you know what someone else is thinking. So you're projecting your own worries and insecurities onto another person, right? So if like your neighbor doesn't wave to you, you just equate that to my neighbor hates me, right? We just immediately right. go there. Um, should statements is another big one um, where we talk about in therapy, like, you know, stop shooting all over yourself. <laughs> so, you know, like I should do this. I should do that. Right. That's a very perfectionism, you know, type thing to say, you know, with unrelenting standards yes. that we put on ourselves. Um, and that can be very damaging. Uh, the last one I'll talk about is catastrophizing. And that's a big one. So catastrophizing is when we're thinking of all the possible things that can go wrong. Um, so we're always thinking of, you know, people, especially with like generalized anxiety disorder, one of the biggest things is what we call what if thinking. Mm-hmm. What if is like, okay, uh, let's say we're standing outside the audition room and my mind goes to what if I blank on my song? Then that might mean that then this casting director will never see me again. <laughs> and what if that happens? Then that right. might mean that my agent might fire me. What if that happens? Right. So we kind of like, we go down this spiral. And again, the what ifs are not just, you know, okay, what if I, you know, I mess up a little bit, you know, but then I, I, I recover. No, what ifs go to catastrophic worst case scenario always. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, basically the point of all of this is that when we look at these distortions, like if we're in therapy, we'll weigh the evidence for or against them being true. Okay. And, you know, right. like it says, there's also a behavioral element of exposure. That's the behavioral element um, that can be used with specific fears where a person has become avoidant. And there's two types of exposure. There's situational and exposure to one's own feelings like that one. Mm. Um, so in situational exposure, people are encouraged to go to places that have created anxiety, right? Like crowded places, social situations, getting on a plane, right? Um, so, um, you know, for instance, we might do, um, I don't want to go too far into this. Um, for instance, like, okay, if someone's scared of dogs, you know, um, we might do what we call like a fear hierarchy. So we'll start at okay. what's the what's the least scary, what's going to, you know, kind of, you know, the least amount of physiological arousal and fear. So let's say we're using the dog example, we would say, okay, let's start with looking at a picture of a dog. 
Then let's look at a video of a dog. Then let's look at a dog through a window. Then let's go and look at a dog through a cage. And, you know, and like at the end result, mm. your end goal is that you're sitting at a dog park. Okay. So that's right. kind of like exposure. And people do that with, with flying, you know, with all, with all kinds of stuff. So, right. and, and I'll get into that too, how it kind of affects us as actors with exposure. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, okay. Exposure to one's own feelings is the other one, right? So we build up a tolerance to uncomfortable feelings, right? So kind of what I was talking about before with avoidance. It's like, so to help people to not try to control their feelings, but rather simply stay with them for a period of time until they start to naturally ease off, right? So mm -hmm. that actually leads into the next therapeutic approach I wanted to talk about. And this is going to be the only other one I really sure. talk about because um, it is mentioned okay. in the research as being maybe something good for actors. Um, okay. and that's called acceptance and commitment therapy. And interestingly okay. enough, that is pronounced as act. So it fits Ooh. perfectly for today's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so CBT and act again, that's acceptance and commitment therapy, um, basically differ. I mean, act kind of comes out of CBT, but they differ primarily in the view they take around thoughts, right? So where I said CBT works by helping you identify and change negative or destructive thoughts, act encourages you to accept all the thoughts rather than trying to change them. Interesting. Yes. So it's kind of like, um, like using acceptance. So when we use acceptance, commitment, mindfulness skills, which I'll talk about in a second, and behavior change strategies, ACT's focus is to help you accept the realities of life and to accept thoughts for what they are, just thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So there's different techniques around that as well. So let's see if I can kind of create a technique around auditions. There's nothing written about this. I'm going to make this up. Um, but what we do is we do something called like cognitive diffusion, right? Where we're trying to kind of, it's not so much change our thoughts, it's more redirect them, right? So for sure. instance, learning to recognize a thought for what it is, right? So if I were to say right now, like, I'm going to go in that audition and I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall flat on my face we would kind of externalize that is probably the best word. And I would say something like, I'm having a thought that I'm going to fail and fall on my face. <laughs> See the difference? Yes. <laughs> There's another yes. way to kind of externalize. Um, I do this with my, my clients a lot where we externalize the anxiety in a way that we're kind of developing a relationship with it rather than fighting against it. Right. So some of my clients will actually name our anxiety, right. We'll name that part of our okay. brain. We'll name, you know, whatever name you want. Um, but you know, for instance, let's say we're standing outside of an audition room and all of a sudden we're feeling it, you know, it's like, Oh God, we're, we're on deck, you know, and all of the physiological mm -hmm. responses start happening. You know, our hands are shaking and, you know, where your heart's racing, uh, we're getting sweaty, you know, all, all these things are happening to us. Our, our mouth is suddenly dry, which is always fantastic, right, before you have to go sing, right? Um, right. So all this stuff is happening. So instead of telling ourselves, like, oh, my God, stop it, stop it, <laughs> get it together, <laughs> that doesn't work, first of all. Um, right. You know, what we would tell ourselves instead is, like, oh, hey, it's my good friend anxiety, right on cue, here you are. Okay. Nice to see you. All right. Thanks for joining me today. Um, you know, I understand that you're here because you're trying to warn me. You think I'm in some kind of impending doom or danger. So thanks for that. 
right? I'm going to look around for a second. I'm going to say, you know, am I actually in danger? Am I in actual, right? Like the, the point is here, you know, the fact that we can start to feel like we spoke about earlier about like when we're in real danger, like the fact that sometimes our body will go through the same response whether there's an actual bear about to attack us or if we're about to go into an mm-hmm. audition room. Right. Right. So, and right. That, that, that shouldn't be right. That shouldn't be again, but, but that's the perceived danger at the end of the day is the same. Our body doesn't know the difference. If that's what, that's what we're thinking. If we're thinking it's the same. Right. So that's part of what therapy does too. So try to kind of help you to realize what's actually real, what's actually perceived, right. And how we react accordingly. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, one last thing I'll, I'll kind of go through a quick exercise with you. And I'm going to tell you, Allison, whatever you do, mm-hmm. do not think of pink elephants. Do not think of pink elephants. Uh-huh. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. And I do not want you to think of pink elephants, whatever you do. Pink elephants, do not think of them. Don't think of pink elephants. You better not think of a pink elephant. Okay. Open your eyes. Tell me, what were you thinking about? Pink elephants? Yeah, I sure were. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because our brains don't really recognize negative commands. You can't tell yourself, don't do this. It's not going to work. So part Mm -hmm. of acceptance commitment therapy is that's kind of the nature of it. It's not to say, don't do this. It's, oh, here you are. (laughs) Right. So that that's part of it is that acceptance. But then there's also the behavioral part about that too, where it's really based in, you know, focusing on your goals, focusing on remembering what is important to you, right? So you might have these, these negative voices in your head and that's okay. Okay. They're here. Mm -hmm. I get it. I know why they're here, but my goal right now is ABC, right? My goal is I'm going to go into this audition right now. Sometimes even, even imagining how you, how you expect that you would want to be in that audition can sometimes help, right? Like if you kind of close your eyes before you go in an audition and you kind of picture how you would want it to be. Like I can picture, I know what these casting directors look like. You know, I can picture walking in, I can picture making eye contact with them and smiling. I can picture walking across to the accompanist, feeling confident and owning my stuff. I can picture, you know, going into the, you know, the center X (laughs) and, you know, going into my character and being able to share my vulnerability and going into that story, you know, and I can picture how good it feels when that first chord of that piano plays. And I just, switch in. I can picture, wow, I'm going to wail out a note that I know no one else can hit. Boom. I'm going to wow them today. Right. And we picture all this bright stuff, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, our brains will, will automatically picture the bad stuff. Right. And actually neither one is necessarily true. They're both kind of fantasies in our minds. Right. So why don't, why do we always go to the negative? It takes the same amount right. of energy to, right, to kind of go right. to, why don't we see how we would want it to be, right? And we kind, of, we kind of focus on our goals. We focus on what's important. And, you know, we also kind of want to take, um, like, look at it, like, from an action point of view. And what I mean by that is, so instead of kind of, like, uh, like I said, avoiding things, right? We're going to also kind of look at our, you know, we're going to allow it to come. Okay. This is what's here. Um, but then we're going to, you know, kind of look at our goals as far as, you know, I want to, um, I want to make sure that I am well prepared for my audition. So I'm going to go to my vocal coach and I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, do whatever I need to do to prepare for this audition rather than like thinking from an emotional place of, I just want to be less anxious at my auditions. 
right? You see the difference. You see how right. like there's a goal that we can go after <laughs> um, yes, that absolutely. can make this attainable. And that's kind of what I wanted to to talk about. Um, I did want to talk about one more thing, but I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go into that because, um, like I said earlier, you know, kind of the the things that we do have control over in this business because there's so many things that are not in our control, right? Um, right. Basically, you know, and this is stuff that, you know, probably a lot of people already know. This is common sense stuff. But at the end of the day, if we can kind of remember these things, then when we're faced with that anxiety that is surrounding, you know, just going into that room and that performance anxiety takes over and we're fear of judge and rejection and humiliation and never working again, right? All that stuff goes in our head. Um, if we can kind of practice some of these things on a normal basis, and I'm just going to go for my own history so I can talk through what I remember. Right. Like um, always have, you know, 10 pictures and resumes always ready to go. Right. That's something that we can mm -hmm. prepare. I have definitely been that person that has thought at the last second, you know, I was going to avoid going and then I felt guilty and then, OK, I'll go. I'll go. Then I look in my book. Oh, my gosh, I have no resumes <laughs> printed out. So I'm going to go print out my right. resume. Then I'm going to print it out. Oh, what do you know? The printer's out of ink. OK. Then, then, you know, okay, there, you know, then I print out, you know, I finally fixed that problem. Then I print it out. And then we have to have this magical, perfect eight by 10 piece of paper, which isn't normal. I don't know why they haven't made it. What is it? Eight by 11? Like, what, why can't it just be the normal piece of paper? I can't tell you, Allison, how many right. resumes got destroyed because I would cut it a little askew. I mean, I'm in this tiny little, you know, studio apartment in Manhattan and I had to like invest in a full on paper cutter. I don't know where I even put right. it, right? Like, because it was like, the scissors just weren't good enough. You know, I mean, I'm just talking about like normal stuff, right? That gets in our own way, right? So stuff like right. that, stuff like, again, I think that's in our control to prepare, you know, um, if you're in musical theater, for instance, you know, I always had a, a vocal coach. And even if you can't afford to go every week, you want to have like two to three that, you know, you can call. So when you get that Broadway call back and they're like, okay, you need to know all this music by yesterday, right? You have someone mm -hmm. that you can immediately reach out to. So that doesn't have to then be another anxiety thing of, oh God, I got to reach out to all my friends. Who knows any company and has two, you know? So again, anything like little things like this, that's in common sense, but you know, when they all add up at the end of the day, having an outfit that, you know, you feel empowered in, you feel you look good in, you feel, you know, having two or three audition outfits ready to go. Right. Um, right. All of these things along with, <clears throat> and this is where like, I'm trying to make a connection of like the exposure that I'm talking about, the exposure part of the therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, so in, you know, with the normies, you know, people who have social anxiety will, you know, will have exposure experiments, right? So we'll slowly mm -hmm. start introducing you to social situations, right? Like I was kind of talking about with the dog, with the fear hierarchy, right? So the more right. you get used to something, you know, the less, the less fear is around it. And the more your body and your brain can realize, wow, I survived that. I think inherent in our profession, which is an amazing thing, is all of the classes, right? Even if you're going to a musical theater class, right. even let's say you're not really learning anything. <laughs> we're professionals. We know what we're doing. <laughs> but even if it's just to get up in front of people, do your song in front of, you know, <clears throat> none of, no actors are judgmental, uh -uh. Um, but getting your, no, your constructive criticism from your class, right? So, but having that opportunity, that's, that's a form of exposure therapy if you want to think about it, right? So if you're able to do that before you're doing it in front of a casting director for the first time, 
right? That's amazing. Mm -hmm. If you're able to practice with any accompanist and, you know, again, all of these things seem common sense, but I'm just trying to say like, it's, you know, I think that it's important for the actor to have accountability for what we can have control over. So to kind of go back to your earlier point, Allison, where you were saying, you know, if I'm sitting outside of the audition room and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to fail right now because I don't, you know, I'm going to space on my song. Is that fact or a feeling? And you said that could be both. The probability of it being both goes up higher (laughs) if you're actually not prepared. (laughs) Right. So let's right. say and that's the Absolutely. other thing. It's kind of, you know, I think as performers, you know, it's part of that perfectionism. It's it's part of it. It's, you know, like if you're going in that morning and you have a song prepared and then at the last second, <laughs> you're like, no, I'm not I'm going to switch it. Right. That's that's right. that's a risk. Right. But a lot of us do right. that. Right. Right. Because we get in our heads, we get in our heads of like, oh, you know, this yep. is what they're really looking for. Blah, blah. Um but again, it's kind of like, okay, if I know that, you know, I've, I've come to this audition this morning, it was something that I had prepared, I've already taken off from the day of work, um, or whatever it is that I need to do, you know, I, you know, I already had my audition cut perfectly there. I've, I've, this is the same thing I've done in front of my musical theater class a million times. This is, you know, this is one of those I know it's a go-to, um, when I'm standing, you know, in, outside that door in that moment, and I like, can think I'm going to totally blank on my song. It's probably more a feeling, right? But if I just pulled out a new mm-hmm. song two minutes before, because I'm like, this is what they really want to hear. And they just do this. Oh God, I don't remember the last time I sang this. You might actually space on the words. That might right. actually happen because you have right. to account for the fact that there is so much out of our control and our bodies are going to automatically go into sometimes this fight, flight, or freeze response. So in order to combat that, which is going to happen naturally, right? The more, mm-hmm. the more, in control we are, the more prepared we are, <laughs> the more we can kind of quiet those voices. And the more we can even challenge right. it. Like, actually, no, I know that I've rehearsed. I sang this yesterday for my class. And, you know, the odds are I'm going to be just fine. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, that kind of goes along with that. The other thing about, um, let's see, in general, like for, for anxiety, for treatment plans, you know, treatment um, therapies to look for, you know, I kind of talked about cognitive behavioral therapy, a little bit of acceptance and commitment therapy. But in general, there's other things um, like being mindful, right? So being mm-hmm. mindful means paying attention to the present moment exactly as it is without judgment, right? And that's why mindfulness kind of goes into acceptance commitment therapy. There's a lot of that. It's a lot of the here and now, right? Like if you're focused on, like, remember I said, like depression, we kind of think about the past and we ruminate about all the stuff that we regret and wish we did differently. And anxiety Mm -hmm. is more about anticipating the feared unknown. If you're in the present, if you're in the here and now, which we are right now, you and me here and now, right? Then it's not about the past or the future, right? So it's not about the depression of the past. It is not about getting anxious about the future. It's about understanding like mindfulness is I am here in the present moment paying attention in a certain way without judgment. So learning how to be more mindful can help you better manage your anxiety. Coming up, Alyssa and I discuss what to look for in a therapist. So if someone is looking for a therapist, what are qualities they should be looking for in a therapist or what are the questions they should be asking a potential therapist? You know, it's wonderful to have, you know, if you go to a therapist and they have, you know, 
you know, a PhD and they have all these diplomas on the wall. And, you know, there's so many different kinds of therapists, right? There's psychiatrists, psychologists, there's marriage family therapists, there's, you know, but at the end of the day, a lot of us do similar things, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We just have different degrees on the wall. (laughs) Um, Right. But at the end of the day, that matters less than the actual personal connection. To me, the, the real, you know, the real purpose of therapy, you know, what I try to kind of always offer is this sense of, you know, empathic listening, non-judgmental, unconditional, positive regard, um, you know, giving people a safe space to just be themselves, to exist, to feel right. validated, to feel supported, right? If, right. If, if you can be with someone who makes you feel that way, that is really 90% of the challenge. I mean, we were even taught that in grad school. We were taught you know, 90% of success of therapy comes from the therapeutic rapport that you build with your client, Mm -hmm. their feeling of trust and safety. They're feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. because if they have that, then they can, you know, they can really explore their own self-awareness and empowerment and feelings of, um, you know, we want to instill hope and we want to, you know, there's all these wonderful things that come out of therapy, but you know what, if you're feeling judged by your therapist, (laughs) that's not going to work. Right. It's just right. not. Um, and, and that could, you know, again, there's there's all of these things. There's there's things called transference and countertransference. And, you know, um, basically, if you go into a therapy session and your therapist reminds you of somebody, <laughs> and that happens. Right. Right. Sometimes that's something that we actually deal with in therapy and we kind of work it out. It's kind of psychodynamic, okay. Freudian type stuff. Um, but um, so I'm going to go off on ma- many tangents right now. I'm going to try to stay focused. So um, <laughs> basically, long story short, it doesn't matter how many fancy interventions your therapist might provide if there's not that basic human connection there where you feel trust. Does that kind of make sense? Right. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. But with that being said, I saw a therapist yeah. once go ahead, go ahead. Who, who never spoke. Oh, boy. Like would How'd never like talk. <laughs> it, it, it drove me crazy. <laughs> it's like, but, but, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'd start telling jokes just to get a reaction out of him. Oh my god, that's awesome! That's awesome. <laughs> and it didn't last very long. It, last. it lasted like six weeks. <laughs> well, you, you gave it time. Yeah, I mean, you know what? But like, I didn't really. Yeah. I didn't know, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I just thought that that was what therapy and that's was. The thing, like, is that there are different you, you and, yeah. and talk. There are different styles, and there are different styles. So you have to yeah. find someone that, like, for me, that is not my style. I am much you. more, <laughs> as you could probably tell, I talk a lot. Um, and, you know, but again, you know, I, I try to make it very egalitarian. You know, the client is the expert of their own yes. lives and all that. But at the same time, you know, I know I, I would. I also would react like you would. That would drive me crazy, you know, if someone's just nodding and smiling at me for an hour, right? Um, but there, there is mm-hmm. there is something around that too. There is, you know, usually what that is. It might feel like that's happening. I'm going to just defend those therapists for one second. It might feel like that's happening, but what they're doing is you might not realize it. They might be asking you maybe, you know, two or three questions the whole session, and they're doing it in a specific way. There's a strategy of the questions they're asking you <laughs> um, to get you to kind of, you know, come to your own insight about things. So, but again, right. I'm, I'm much more of an interactive therapist. Um, and again, depending on what kind of therapy you have. So like, for instance, if you if you do go to a therapist who does a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, in its nature, CBT is a very directive type therapy where I'm literally teaching you skills, right? Uh-huh. I'm literally like, you know, fighting the evidence for your thoughts. Right. It's very interactive, very directive. Um, 
but, you know, for the most part, you know, there's, you know, I also do, um, you know, solution focused therapy, right. Which is more about, you know, sometimes people come into, to a session and they're so used to being in the narrative of their problem, right? Like I just want to come in and once this problem mm-hmm. is done, I'll be fine. Once this problem is done, I'll be fine. Right. With solution focused, we kind of turn mm-hmm. that on its head a little bit and it's kind of like, okay, we're talking all about the problem, but we haven't talked about what you actually want if the problem wasn't there. Right. <laughs> right. Kind of. Right. That right, right. Interesting. So to kind of help yeah. people kind of actually realize their goals. Sometimes people, you know, your goal can't just be, I want to get rid of my anxiety. Your goal needs to be, what is my life going to look like? Right. What is it that I right. want? Not just what it is that I don't want. Right. So right. again, there's so many right. different kinds of, but Allison, exactly what you said really to your point is that if you don't feel that comfort, like that wasn't the type of therapist that, that works for you, you want more of like, you know, an interactive therapist, someone who's going to constantly, you know, be engaging with you or what you feel right. you're engaging more. Um, then, then that's something you would know. You know, I kind of think of it too, right. and maybe this is a weird way of thinking of it, but like dating, <laughs> right? Like, right. No, know, totally. I mean, you go like, you know, you're meeting a stranger, right? So you go on this first date and sometimes the first date you're totally, you know, judging them or you're worried they're judging you, you know, and sometimes you're like, all right, let me just give them a second date because <laughs> I wasn't really myself, right? Right. Or sometimes on the first date, you know, right away, you're like, no, mm-mm. It could be the same thing because this is a very, it's a very weird profession in that it's so, so personal, right? Um, Yeah. And that's kind of what I love about it. You know, to me, therapy is, you know, and I'm, I'm not the first to say this, this is not my personal quote, but it resonates with me, is that therapy is both an art and a science. And it's kind of finding, Hmm. you know, as a therapist, kind of finding the balance of that. Right. And in doing that, I kind of base that off of what I'm getting with my clients and and how I'm going to kind of tailor my treatment for them and how I'm going to tailor how I am in the room with them. Again, that's very similar, like to bring back to our original question about acting and how that kind of relates. Mm -hmm. Right. It's kind of like when you're on stage, you know, and you're kind of doing the, you know, you're reacting based off what you're getting. Right. (laughs) It's it's, it's kind of similar in that way. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that it's your intuition and especially actors. Oh my gosh, you guys are so good at that. I, I, I would say that you, you would know it's like a date, you know, right away, like, is there chemistry here? Right. Like, <laughs> am I feeling comfortable? Right, am, I, right. am I jiving with this person? Like for me, for instance, if I'm doing an intake session, I'm supposed to ask, uh, you know, particular questions. I have to get certain background information. I have to kind of get, you know, an understanding of your symptoms of past trauma of, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best to try to figure out where we're, where we're coming from. You know, I, I usually, I, mm-hmm. I hate, you know, there, there's controversy about diagnosing people and that's a whole nother issue. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of, we have to get to, we have to get to, to the bottom line so that we can kind of at least have a little bit of a beginning of a report. You know, it might take us a few sessions to really know what's right. going on, but the problem with that, when, when, when you're dealing with insurance, particularly, um, is that, you know, as a therapist, you know, you're not starting off with the, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, for me, it's like a fine balance of, I want to build that rapport. I have to ask you some questions and I'm a total stranger to you. And I'm asking to ask you some really personal questions right now. <laughs> right. Uh, but at the same right. time, I want to kind of build that rapport. So 
for me, I don't necessarily always go by exactly like, okay, I got to ask all these questions. If, if, if I start asking and someone is in front of me and I see they're having an emotional reaction and they start crying and we, you know what, screw the questions, right? I go right into therapy right now. Right. And I have to, you know, I have to, again, that's that art and that science. Right. So again, but just the reason I'm saying this is to have that understanding that on a first session, if you're doing an intake, it, you know, it might feel a little bit like different than any other therapy session. So I would say always try to, I mean, unless there's like a big red flag, I would say always try to go at least twice, (laughs) like when you're trying to test it out. Right. You know, Um, right. But I feel like for me, you know, because, you know, that's the other thing. It's, you know, what we learned in grad school and also from having my own therapy, you know, I realized that, you know, when I look at my clients, I tell them all the time, I'm like, it is so much harder to be in your chair than it is in mine. So much harder. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you're the one showing up week after week, taking accountability. This takes courage. This takes courage because it would be much easier to sit at home and avoid and numb out and not deal with our problems. But when you're coming to me, you're taking some sort of accountability, right, for wanting change, right? Or for even even, even talking about things that scare you. That is so courageous. And for me, honestly, it's an honor. It is an, it's an absolute honor when people kind of have that trust and that I can be their safe holding space. I think it's a very personal thing and you're going to feel it and you want to, you know, so basically at the end of an intake session, you know, my clients will leave and whatever information I have, I have. The point is, is I want them to come back, right? Yes. <laughs> or we can't do it. Yes. So that I, I do right. make it a point to make sure that it's not just the questions. I do make it a point to make sure that there is some connection there and that, you know, you can also, you can ask your therapist, you can ask them any, you can ask them, you know, what they're trained in. You can ask, you know, if you specifically are looking for cognitive behavioral therapy, you can ask them. A lot of times, you know, there's different places where you can look. I think you can even look on Actors Fund. You can look um, Psychology Today, you know, you can, you know, type in your zip code and it'll come up with all of the therapists in your area. And people will have mm-hmm. like bios, like they'll, they'll say their specialties, right? They'll say what they're certified in or they'll say what they specialize in, um, which issues, which populations they work with, right? So you can really mm-hmm. kind of do a lot of the research before you even call someone. And a lot of the times people will do like a free call consultation. You know, um, a lot of people will do emails with you. Um, I think it's great if you can do a quick phone call with somebody really, because you can also Absolutely. kind of connect yeah. really quickly there with just even hearing their voice. And um, so, you know, again, that there's, there's certain, there's certain information that's out there, right? So it's like, I really want to do CBT and you could look up someone's bio and it'll say, you know, that they, that they do it. Right. Um, again, there, there's different levels of that too, right? Like there's certain people that, you know, only do CBT, right. And it's going to be really like cognitive behavioral therapy focused, right. And you might be done in like yeah. eight to 10, eight to 20 sessions. You're done. Right. <laughs> Insurance companies <laughs> love cognitive behavioral therapy because it's quick, right? It's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to make this happen. Um, but for me, you know, I, again, I do more of like an integrative approach, right? So I will, right. you know, if someone, you know, if someone in front of me, I feel like their issue, it's like screaming out at me that like, oh yeah, like I can see that this will work for you. I will do it. But I will also include other things as well. I do, you know, a lot of expressive arts. I do something called sand trade therapy. I do, you know, mindfulness. I do solution focused. I do motivational interviewing. I do, um, again, like a a whole array, right? So, but I will tailor Mm -hmm. it to whoever's in front of me 
right? And sometimes, you know, I kind of conceptualize someone through a specific theory, like I might conceptualize someone through cognitive behavioral therapy, meaning, uh, you know, that's my belief is that, you know, your thoughts, your distorted thoughts are creating, you know, the issues in your life, right? And so we're going to change those things. And so I might kind of think in that lens, but use, you know, you know, I have some clients that, if they can't voice what's going on, and that happens a lot, actually, people can't actually put into words, I'll do art therapy. And it's amazing what comes out. It's amazing what what the abstract creative arts can bring out. (laughs) Um, And I think especially for actors, you know, um, someone that you know, is open and is creative um, in their therapeutic style and isn't rigid might be something really good to look for as well. So I hope I answer that question. Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming today and sharing your your wisdom and expertise with us. It was so good to hear from you. You are so (laughs) welcome. I love this. Thanks for listening. And thanks to my guest, Alyssa Goldstein. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share. For more information and resources on topics discussed in today's episode, please visit our website, anxietyandtheartist.com. Until then, be healthy and stay creative. Anxiety and the Artist is produced by Grasta Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Music and engineering is by Bosco Chef.